We've been waiting for you. Come on in. It's Talk 10 Tuesday with Chuck Buck and Dr. Erica Reamer. Today, we welcome the return of Susan Gatehouse. She'll report on how to prepare for ICD-11. May is National Mental Health Awareness Month, and today, Aaron Hand talks about the challenges when coding for behavioral health. Senior healthcare consultant Lori Johnson has a Talk 10 Tuesday coding report, and Tim Paul is at the Tuesday News Desk. Now, here's the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, the host of Talk 10 Tuesday, and a man who feels cyber secure because he wears both a belt and suspenders, Chuck Buck. <laughs> Thank you very much, Clark Anthony. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 462nd Live Edition Talk 10 Tuesday, and good morning, Erica. Hey, once again, we're talking about ICD-11. Well, it's coming, Chuck. ICD-10 is on its way out. ICD-11 is coming, and make no mistake about it. You know, it's been coming since ICD-10 was launched, but, you know, waiting for ICD-11, well, it's kind of like waiting for Godot. Yeah, waiting for Godot. Yeah, and for some people, waiting for ICD-11 might be like waiting for the barbarians, which I didn't see, but Johnny Depp and... Robert Pattinson, what could be bad? <laughs> right. Or looking down the railroad tracks, waiting for the Amtrak to take me back home to San Diego. <laughs> Regardless, ICD-11 is coming in a few years, as we've been told, but now is the time to understand the new concepts being introduced. Susan Gatehouse will report our lead story. Looking forward to Susan's report on ICD-11. In the meantime, we're going to continue our recognition of May being National Mental Health Awareness Month. That's right. And joining us today will be Erin Head. She'll report on some of the current challenges when coding behavioral health. And Lori Johnson's going to report on the proposed inpatient perspective payment system rule. And you've got to talk back today. What's on your mind? Well, as usual, Lori and I are in sync, and I have a few thoughts on the proposed IPPS, too. Very good. Looking forward, as always, to your talk back. We have much news to report, and we begin with Tim Powell. Tim's at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. The Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk is presented by MRA, the premier provider of medical coding, auditing, and cancer registry solutions. For 35 years, hospitals and healthcare systems have chosen MRA's 100% U.S.-based solutions for their proven quality and expertise. Find your peace of mind by partnering with MRA at MRAHIS.com. Here now is Tim Powell. Thanks, Chuck. And I'm here to talk about something that I have experience with that I think is a, a very exciting program. Community, uh, the uh, CM, CMS has just put forward increases to payments for HCBS, or home and community-based services. Home and community-based services provide opportunities for Medicare beneficiaries to receive services in their own home or community rather than institutions or other isolated settings. These programs serve a variety of targeted populations and groups, such as people with intellectual developmental disabilities, physical disabilities, and mental illnesses. In my home state of Florida, we have a robust uh, HCBS program that we, uh, that we call uh, the Diversion Program, and 53% of all Medicaid long-term care spending is allocated to home and community-based services. So we certainly hope that this is something that, that increases as we move along. It's, it's certain to us that the elderly and the people that are receiving Medicaid services in the state of Florida would much rather be served in their home than be placed in institutions. And uh, so with that, 
Back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Tim. That was Tim Powell. Tim is a compliance expert and an ICD-10 Monitor National Correspondent. It's Tuesday. It's May 18th. It's National Mental Health Awareness Month. And today, the vaccination rate for those who have been fully vaccinated in the United States is now at 37.3%. You're listening to Talk In Tuesday. Stand by. Clinical documentation integrity plays a crucial role in getting paid correctly and improving patient outcomes. Proficiency in CDI starts with a solid foundation of education. From documentation and coding basics to anatomy, physiology, and special guidance with high-risk DRGs, CDI education bundles deliver the knowledge you need. Here's what you receive. The popular handbook, Essentials for Clinical Documentation Integrity, and the on-demand webcast, Back to the basics, clinical documentation of five common conditions. Save a bundle when you order a bundle. The 2021 CDI Education Bundle. Order yours now at the ICD University Bookstore. Here now with the Talk in Tuesday Coding Report is Laurie Johnson. And good morning, Laurie. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Erica. And hello to our listeners. The fiscal year 22 inpatient prospective payment system proposed rule was published on April 27th using 1,091 pages. This proposed rule also includes updates to long-term care hospital prospective payment system. I'm going to focus on the changes for the acute care hospitals. There are no new MSDRGs created this year, but there are 15 changes, including the shifts between 981 to 983 and 987 to 989. These MSDRGs focus on cases where the procedure and the principal diagnosis do not match. Another important focus is the shifts from OR to non-OR status, as well as the reverse. In this proposed rule, there are 10 shift topics. For example, 22 procedure codes on open drainage of subcutaneous tissue and fascia are proposed to be shifted from OR to non-OR status. The classifications of ICD-10-CM and ICD-10-PCS are expanding, including the codes that became effective on January 1, 2021. The fiscal year 22 final numbers are for ICD-10-CM 72,768, which is an increase of 147. ICD-10-PCS has a final number of 78,242 with an increase of 106. The new diagnosis codes can be found in Table 6A and the new procedure codes can be found in Table 6B. As we have discussed before, CMS is requesting feedback regarding two release dates for ICD-10-CM and PCS classifications which are proposed to be April 1st and October 1st. The inpatient prospective payment final rule 22 is packed with information. Join me on May 20th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time to learn more about the details. Now, let's move to the listener survey. As we begin to talk about IPPS fiscal year 22 proposed rule, what are you looking forward to hearing about? Number one, DRG changes. Two, CC or MCC changes. Three, new technology items. Four, changes to OR designation. 
five, changes to CC and MCC designation. Six, all of it. Seven, none of it. And eight, does not apply. And with that, Erica, back to you. Thanks, Lori. That was Lori Johnson. Lori is Senior Healthcare Consultant for Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. Chuck? Thanks, Erica. And thank you again, Lori Johnson. And as Lori said, we're going to have the results of the Talk 10 Tuesday listener survey later in this broadcast. May is National Mental Health Awareness Month, and joining us this morning to report on challenges when coding behavioral health and other related issues is Erin Head. Good morning, Erin. Welcome to Talk 10 Tuesday. Thank you for having me on today. And as we observe Mental Health Awareness Month, what better time to discuss some common trends and challenges in mental health or behavioral health coding? The key to behavioral health coding is to focus on capturing everything that is relevant to that patient's condition and treatment, whether it is an underlying medical condition, a substance abuse disorder on top of a psych diagnosis or dual diagnosis, or history codes such as trauma and stress that exacerbate their psychiatric condition. Those history codes are key and some may be hesitant to capture so many Z codes when they're coding, but it really helps to tell that story of the patient's overall mental and physical health. And I have seen them be very helpful in arguing some denials as well. You really feel like you're a patient advocate contributing to that patient's ability to have access to adequate care. And you're ensuring that a facility gets properly reimbursed so that they can continue to provide that care. So you really have to just navigate those rules and make sure that nothing is left on the table. And everyone knows that mental health disorders are not often seen as a visible sign on the surface of a patient, as you might see with other medical conditions. So behavioral health care is very verbose, and it's very heavy on that conversation between a psychiatrist, psychologist, or therapist, and the patient, and oftentimes their families too. And this is crucial in getting an accurate diagnosis. But with that dialogue-heavy specialty, we really see we need a very good documentation to support each level of care and that proper reimbursement. And telehealth and telepsych has been really beneficial during COVID, and it really helps with that accessibility factor in behavioral health care. So we as coders need to make sure to provide feedback to those documenting for those, the specificity of diagnoses. You know, sometimes they want to throw around a bunch of nonspecific or possible diagnoses. And so we want to provide good documentation guidance by using those coding guidelines for education to really help them document more clearly. And switching gears a bit to the inpatient psychiatric coding, I often hear coders struggle to bridge that gap between general acute care coding and MSDRGs, and then the differences from the inpatient psych facility prospective payment system. And it's not just the coders who need that, that education. It's the billing team as well. They need to fully understand how to capture that IPF PPS adjustment factor on the bill. And on the CMS.gov website, you can download the current list of adjustment comorbidities and keep it handy. And of course, download the latest version each year once that final rule is published. And I want you to take special notice to some of the common comorbidities on the list, such as eating disorders or chronic conditions such as COPD, 
and substance abuse or dependence disorders and poisoning due to suicide ideation and attempts. And a key example of something commonly missed is nicotine dependence with withdrawal. And this can have a significant adjustment factor on your payment and reimbursement rate. So missing the documentation supporting that withdrawal from nicotine or, or any vice that the patient might be using and failing to code this properly will definitely result in less reimbursement. So again, working very closely with the physicians to make sure that those diagnoses are taken to the highest specificity to avoid leaving hundreds of dollars of reimbursement on the table. And if you don't have a CDI program in place for psych, it's a really good idea to at least take some of those concepts and put a process in place for education and queries at a minimum. And also that education has to be provided to that billing team so that they can check the appropriate boxes on the bill and that they are actually ensuring that you're getting your reimbursement. And then, of course, someone should be auditing to make sure that what was actually billed is what was expected to be reimbursed based on the documentation and the coding. So hopefully this small bit of information is helpful in continuing to ensure our communities can adequately care and be, in re be reimbursed for that behavioral health and substance abuse care. And this care specialty should be just as accessible to patients as any other specialty with it, without any stigma and we should continue advocating for these, this patient population this Mental Health Awareness Month and always. Thanks, Erin. I couldn't agree more. That was Erin Head. Erin is a senior healthcare consultant with Iron Mountain and a coding auditor for Code and Comply Specialists. Susan Gatehouse returns now to report on ICD-11. Earlier in the broadcast, you heard us joking about waiting for ICD-11, but actually now is the time to prepare for this major transition from ICD-10 to ICD-11. Here now is Susan Gatehouse and why it is important to use this time wisely while waiting for ICD-11. Susan. Good morning, Chuck and, and Erica, and to all. It's nice to nice to be back. And ICD-10 versus ICD-11 is definitely a tongue twister to say. So, projecting timeframes for ICD-11 implementation on past experiences of ICD-10 may be misleading. It is unlikely that hospitals will experience the same challenges as they did with ICD-10. This latest version is designed with the direct intent of decreasing previously experienced challenges, primarily through a more seamless integration process with the electronic health record. Revisions to accommodate advancements in technology were necessary and are and are incorporated in ICD-11. By way of comparison, ICD-11 contains 26 chapters with approximately 30% more codes. ICD-10 has 21 chapters. Additionally, the classification system has been redesigned and is now structured as a database, making it more IT compatible than ICD-10. The structure ICD-11 is built on is called the foundation component, which contains all ICD concepts and the information that is needed to construct tabular lists. This unique architecture of ICD-11 ensures that it can support diverse uses. ICD-11 has five new chapters, one of which is traditional medicine. Although people across the globe have used traditional medicine for quite some time, it's never been classified until this system. 
um, has occurred, ICD-11. Many of the issues experienced in ICD-10 are proposed to be uh, solved with ICD-11. As an example, ICD-11 includes simplification of diabetes coding, melanoma types, better classification of valve disease, and those are just to name a few. ICD-11 will also affect extension codes describing severity, dimensions of injury, and external causes. The soonest any country may begin using, and the word keyword is may, begin using ICD-11 is January 1, 2022. That's assuming that the HIPAA, the HIPAA does um, approve it as a, as a code set. Assigning someone to monitor updates and communicate ICD-11 status to management is an excellent place to start. Identify someone to maintain awareness and keep up to date on news and announcements from HHS, CMS, HIMA, AMA, and other industry organizations that provide updates on the move to ICD-11. In particular, AHEMA has been intricately involved in the development of ICD-11 and provides some members with valuable high-level overviews of ICD-11 and how it differs from ICD-10. As the time approaches, look to AHEMA communications and information on tools, tools to assist with adoption and implementation. There are several sources, including the World Health Organization browser, I would certainly encourage you to take a look at, so one can begin to familiarize themselves with the content changes and review the transition guide for ICD-11. This is a valuable exercise to begin conversations regarding implementation preparation. It is still undetermined whether the U.S. will create a modification to ICD-11 as it did with ICD-10-CM, which may be another factor in the possible delay. Additionally, the COVID-19 global, global pandemic did not help and, and potentially push back the date. Though some predict three to four years before an implement date is released. As we all know, time flies, so it's it's not too soon to place ICD-11 on your radar. Talking to you, Erica. Thanks, Susan. I need to know when ICD-11 is going to come because that's the day I retire. That was the founder and CEO of Axia Solutions, Susan Gatehouse. You can read Susan's article on preparing for ICD-11 today's ICD-10 Modern and Excellent Story. Coming up next, the revealing results of today's Talk to Enthusi listener survey. Stand by. Each year, the inpatient prospective payment system, IPS, proposed rule contains impactful changes. That includes changes to the ICD-10 CMPCS classification systems, MSDRGs, as well as new technology add-on payments. Proposed changes are often a mixed bag for hospitals, some having positive and some negative impacts. During an ICD-10 Monitor webcast this Thursday, Coding Authority Lori Johnson will provide essential education on the changes contained in the 2022 IPS proposed rule. She'll help facilities identify NTAPs and explain proposed changes for ICD-10 CMPCS and in the MSDRG methodology. Then, coding education, adjustments in the charge master, and updates to coding guidelines can occur on a timely basis. Register now to attend 2022 IPPS proposed rule update. Prepare now for changes. The webcast is this Thursday, May 20th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. 
Here now for the Talk 10 Tuesday listener survey is the aforementioned Lori Johnson. Chuck, it looks like our listeners seem to have inquiring minds. The results of the survey include DRG changes at 3%, CC and MCC changes at 9%, new technology items, 2%, changes to the OR designation, 2%, changes to the CC MCC designation, 4%, We have many people who want to hear all of it, which is 61%, and none of it, 3%, and we have 17%, it does not apply. So with that, back to you, Chuck. Now it's time for a very popular segment here at Talk 10 Tuesday. It's called Talk Back, and it features our own Dr. Erica Reamer. What's on your mind today? Well, I'm going to talk about the hospital inpatient prospective payment system's proposed rule for 2022 as well. It was officially published May 10th, um, and you can find the link in my resources tab on the left. Comments are being sought and can be submitted at https colon slash slash www.regulations.gov slash You can find the tables when you open up the link in my resources tab. There, you will find new diagnosis and procedure code lists, which are not up for discussion any longer. Feedback on proposed diagnoses and procedures is solicited from the coordination and maintenance meetings held in September and March. CMS is seeking comments on proposed additions and deletions to the CC exclusion, CC, and MCC lists, and potential MSDRG changes, as well as other facets I'm not going to touch on today. I couldn't read it all. Those of you who have listened to me for a while know that my eyes glaze over when we start talking about money. My interest is in ICD-10 and MSDRGs. The first topic I will address is the revision of the MSDRG set. The proposal is to delete 96 MSDRGs, which are currently triplets, and replace them with 58 MSDRGs, which are either either, um, dyads with or without MCC, or singletons without any qualifier. Examples of the former are intracranial vascular procedures with pr- uh, principal diagnosis of hemorrhage, skin graft for skin ulcer or cellulitis, and other OR procedures for multiple significant trauma. Examples of MSDRG sets being proposed to be shrunk to a singleton are acute myocardial infarction expired, cholecystectomy with CDE, and other hepatobiliary or pancreas OR procedures. There was a manageable number of additions to the CC and MCC lists. Toxic encephalopathy G92 is going to be subdivided into G92.8, other toxic encephalopathy, which includes toxic metabolic encephalopathy, and unspecified toxic encephalopathy G92.9. Both will remain MCCs. G04.82, acute flaccid myelitis, AFM, is to be added as an MCC as well. Proposed new CCs include bilateral ovarian malignancies, both primary and secondary, immune effector cell-associated neurotoxicity syndrome, which is ICANS, grades 3 through 5, and Sjogren's syndrome with CNS involvement. Providers who are resistant to documenting type 2 MI will have a new CC in I5A non-ischemic myocardial injury. An interesting proposal found at the bottom of page 25175 
is to downgrade all unspecified diagnosis codes to non-CC if there is another related code which gives anatomic site specificity in terms of laterality. I often teach providers that if they aren't sure which hip they are replacing and they don't document it, the payer may decide to not pay them for the hip replacement operation. A little hyperbolic, but CMS is proposing taking 3,490 unspecified diagnosis codes in terms of laterality, which currently serve as CC or MCCs, and removing their risk-adjusting designation. They cite their intent to foster, quote, the reporting of the most specific diagnosis code supported by the available medical record documentation and clinical knowledge of the patient's health condition to more accurately reflect each healthcare encounter and improve the reliability and validity of the coded data, close quote. Kudos to CMS for resisting the suggestion to consider J96.11, chronic respiratory failure with hypoxia, inherent to J44.1, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease with exacerbation, thereby eliminating the current CC. They recognize that not every oxygen-dependent COPD patient and not every exacerbated COPD patient has respiratory failure. My final comment to CMS was regarding imposing consistency to I-11.0, hypertensive heart disease with heart failure, and I-13.2, hypertensive heart and chronic kidney disease with heart failure, and with stage 5 CKD or end-stage renal disease. They plan to equate acute with acute on chronic, and then type specified, of course, um, heart failure, in terms of risk adjustment, and equate I-11.0 and I-13.2 in terms of whether the condition should be on the CC exclusion list. My comment was that they should include I-13.0, hypertensive heart and chronic kidney disease with heart failure, but with the lower stages of CKD in the mix. As always, I suggest you avail yourself of the power of contributing your thoughts and comments to CMS. Read the proposed rule for yourself and let them know what you think. Your voice is heard. Back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Erica, very, very much. Uh, that's going to be a wrap for our 462nd live edition of Talk Ten Tuesday. And I want to thank our panelists today, Aaron Head. Thank you, Aaron. Lori Johnson. Tim Pelz. This is Gatehouse Reporter Early Story. Be sure to read our article. It's outstanding. And as always, thanks to our co-host, Dr. Erica Reamer. Until next Tuesday, I'm Chuck Buck, reporting for ICD-10 Monitor and Talk 10 Tuesday. Thank you so very much for being with us today. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.